I suppose I should get the chat out on my phone here. <laughs> all right. All right. In case in case somebody wants to talk to us. You never know. You Actually never our know. Ashes streams have had viewers. Yeah, they they've been really popular. Uh, so nice. All right. Well, this is uh officially episode nineteen of the Shuffle Bus. Um Neil and I are back. We have a very special guest, if you can see on screen. It's like with us. 19 number four or whatever. <laughs> yeah, because we actually lost four other versions of the raw audio. <laughs> Don't oh, know no. what to them, but they're gone. So I blame you. <laughs> um, so episode 19 was supposed to be a, a Marvel Champions coverage stream, but instead we are replacing it with a very special guest, Mr. Nick Conley of Plat Hat Games. Uh, thank hey. you so much for being here, Nick. I, I mean, it's super awesome to have you on and have a chance to talk about Ashes Reborn. There's a ton of stuff going on around this game. Right, like literally every stream, I wish that we had somebody that knew how Ashes works so I could just ask you what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely struggling. We're, we're on the struggle bus when it comes to Ashes and trying to become better yeah. players. So, uh, But before we get too far into that, I just want to give a couple of shout outs because we've had some new followers since our last stream. So I want to give... Pixie Bob Jack, a shout out. Thank you for following us. And Exodus7477, two new followers. So uh, we really appreciate that. It helps us get closer to our goal. And yeah, so let's uh, let's dive into this thing. Neil is, in the chat. Neil is already yeah. hyping the chat. So <laughs> Yo. <laughs> All right. So Nick, let's um let's talk a little bit about how you got to where you're at at Plat Hat. I know that you kind of covered this a little bit on the Team Covenant stream. If you haven't watched that watching us you should definitely go check but um just kind of give us the you know 30 second or the five minute however long you want to take to, <laughs> to kind of go uh through how you got how you ended up involved in ashes and then how you ended up in the role you're in today for ashes reborn sure so uh as uh, many good stories go it all goes back to HeroScape. um i don't know if you guys have wow. played HeroScape oh, at all in the past but, uh, Not for I'm 10 old. years. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I've played HeroScape. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was um, kind of one of the first lifestyle games that really got me into the hobby board gaming scene. Um, but like I've always played card games. There's like Pokemon cards or whatever growing up. But uh, HeroScape was kind of the first one that I engaged in a online community about. So um, just through browsing HeroScape, um, the... One of the admins, or I, I think I, actually the creator of Heroscapers.com, which was like the fan site for Heroscape, um, was Colby, who went on to found Plaid Hat Games. So I saw an advertisement for Summoner Wars on Heroscapers and uh, followed the link there, and that was kind of my introduction to Plaid Hat Games. So I got involved with uh, playing Summoner Wars right out the gate there and just kind of fell in love with everything the company was putting out there. Uh, so that kind of became like my favorite company that was putting out board games. And uh, from there, they eventually put out a application for Ashes Playtesters. And that was kind of the first avenue I ever saw into getting into playtesting and development. So I applied for Ashes right away. And uh, kind of right around that same time, I was digging into uh, Netrunner a lot and just the expandable card game models as much as I could. So I I was really excited to jump into one right from the very beginning by playtesting Ashes. So 
Uh, luckily, I got into that playtest and had done just as many games as I could. I just fell in love with Ashes right off the bat. And uh, from there, uh, just my connection to the community had grown and grown. I met people at tournaments and eventually meeting Isaac and becoming friends with him. It um, all led to just being like my community of people that I, I, ju- I just love to interact with. And it all came about because of this great game, Ashes. And uh, and then, unfortunately, Ashes uh, met its original conclusion a couple of years back. And um, kind of my po- my position as a... Well, or I kind of skipped a part. Um, I became lead playtester kind of halfway through the life cycle of Ashes um, and was just in charge of assigning tasks and processing all the feedback and just playing as many games as I could. And, uh, but yeah, then, uh, Ashes, um, at its conclusion, but now with plaid hats, um, in its new position, uh, they're looking to re reboot it into ashes reborn. So, uh, I was given the call to, uh, jump on for the game developer for that. And it's been, such an awesome ride just uh being able to go back to the beginning with ashes and kind of sort out some of the problems that have had just spiraled out of control through throughout the development cycle of that game and i'm really excited with uh where ashes reborn is heading yeah yeah i mean i definitely we've been keeping up on the spoilers that have been coming out you've been doing a great job i think about weekly we get a new update from plat hat on your yep Maybe and uh, every Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Ashes Wednesday. There's there's <laughs> something to that. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I I, I appreciate. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Alienate half the viewers. Well, yeah, you know. Hey, um, the the main thing is um, to to your point. Like I was first exposed to Ashes at Origins 2015. I was actually in a vendor booth right down the aisle from the Plot Hat booth. So, oh nice. Uh, it was it was fun to see it come out at that point and obviously it wasn't out and available to buy at origins it was just being demoed and shown because it was gen con release if i re- yeah it launched the gen yeah. con right after that then <laughs> yeah so uh kind of from the expansion side when did you sort of come into the play testing and then what's sort of the biggest thing you see differently now that you're kind of at the helm of it and making the decisions is it easier or harder to be at the helm of it or just be a playtester, in your opinion? What what do you think is more important there? Oh, geez. Um, so I started as a playtester right with the core set, um, but I became the lead playtester midway through the development of um, Jericho, Echo, Astria, and Koji. Okay. Um, were the So the decks that came after the addition of uh, Divine and Sympathy Magic is when I took over as lead playtester there. Um, and then Bob, who was the contents developer, was the former lead playtester. So um, he became in charge of designing the decks, and then I was in charge of playtesting them. Uh, but we were kind of always just talking back and forth about the direction we would take designs um, here and there. But uh, what's harder now? Um, I mean, there's a nice amount of freedom that comes with being able to sort past some of the problems that uh, existed in Ashes because previously with playtesting, we kind of had some things we couldn't change where it's like, okay, hidden power is a very good 
good card and it will always be a very good card and there's nothing we can do about it. So we kind of had these struggles to design within the context of original Ashes that had some gameplay issues. So I think that was the harder side of things, was trying to make new cards that were relevant in the face of old overpowered strategies and some negative play experiences. So it was a really tricky process in the beginning when I got the position and like, okay, we can change roughly this many cards in Ashes. How how are you going to decide which ones you can keep and what types of things need to change? Um, but and that really came down to uh, I've talked about this before, but like the triggered abilities that exist in Ashes, where when one thing happens, it can activate another effect, and it just goes down this long, long chain of kind of complex resolution windows. So all of that has been narrowed down into much more precise triggered abilities. They still exist in the game but just not in kind of the widespread situation that it was before. Yeah, I think that's really good. And obviously you guys spoiled the illusion dice change with the mm-hmm. removal of sort of, well, I'm going to call dice mana for lack of a better system. Um, mm-hmm. But with dice being your mana, removal of dice is like sort of like a, a, this game's version of like a, a single turn land removal. You're playing magic. something. Of that. Yeah, yeah. Like, it it just keeps you from being able to take part in your game plan. Um, so I think the illusion dice change will be very positive to it. I'm curious to see how it ends up playing out, whether that sort of knocks illusion down a little bit, because from my perspective, very limited, understand it's very limited, mm. but uh, from my perspective, we were sort of talking about some of the higher power dice in, in the game and how dice themselves sort of possess a certain level of game balance that has to occur. And, uh, we felt like illusion was pretty solid, and Neil, we had talked about some other ones too. So you would specific illusion is like, you know, way up here, right? Like yeah. I get to do yeah. this on video instead of just talking in my pod, like way up here. And then the other ones are kind of like all you know in here, and then there's like whatever charm. I don't know what, the, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like hidden power is messed up, right? Like and. Mm-hmm. Victoria is messed up, and mm-hmm. <laughs> on top of like those being great, uh, the the power side ability of um, illusion is insane by itself by comparison to all the others. Like, like last yeah. week, Neil just placed three elephant riders on me in one one turn through recursion abilities in Gates. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so it was like ah, I'm probably dead it, now. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Illusion kind of has this like one-two punch of being the magic that can both take dice away with the dice power, but it also uh, recurs dice, and that's mostly lacking in other colors. Ceremonial used to do it a little bit with Dark Reaping and Expand Energy, but all things considered, like Illusion was just like the magic type of dice economy. Right, it just had like a bunch of like plus one or plus twos, right? And like mm-hmm. ceremonial has like jump through these hoops and get plus one or plus two. Yeah, it it took a little bit more, but they were still very powerful cards. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, we I've played this game for I don't know, when did we start playing this game again, Jesse? Three or four weeks ago. I definitely want to strike a balance between the high level competition and also making it an entry level game for people that are interested in uh, competitive card games for the first time. Um, 
I think one thing that is so special about Ashes is just it's like visual appeal and just the general inclusivity of the different characters that exist in the game. I think it's just a very appealing game for competitive and casual players alike. So kind of a goal with Ashes Reborn was to simplify a lot of those cards where you read them and you're like, I can't tell if this is good or really what its application is. Uh, Because kind of through the development of the 1.0 cards we had or we attempted to make some hard counters to some of the more prevalent things like the illusion dice power or uh jess's ability screams of the departed so one card that i think about is hexbane which is like very specifically targeted towards dice removal and like phoenix born ping damage which were uh really big things um so, sorry uh says we've got an issue with sound wonder how we lost sound one second uh oh okay I, maybe we're back sorry um let's see i'm looking at chat now okay cool sorry about that mad and exodus appreciate it uh, i don't know what happened but we're we're back now so maybe there's a problem with my scene transition we'll just stay on this scene i was going to help try to display some cards when we were talking about cards but um okay cool so we are back. Right. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to interrupt, but um... no worries. No worries. Okay. So, so yeah, uh, we were talking about the, the complexity of cards and uh, a big goal of Ashes Reborn was to simplify the wording on a lot of cards to make them clearly understandable from the first time you read them. So, you know exactly what a card will do, but it takes a skilled player to understand how and when to use that card. So sure. I don't want I don't want the high level of the game being, oh, I understand these edge case rule situations better than you because I've studied them online and can like get you with these moments in gameplay. I want everybody to understand all the cards and be able to process the board state at any given time and just make educated decisions during the gameplay and I think a lot of those confusing situations can be a big uh, deterrent for people trying to learn the game. So I hope that every uh, pre-constructed deck now has a much easier entry point for understanding the cards and also kind of improving some of the cohesion and overall power level uh, balance between them all. No, I mean, it sounds great, obviously. Things we love hearing. <laughs> I think there needs to be a nice balance between casual and competitive. While competitive lists may only make up five or ten percent of what you can explore in a game, sometimes at the end of the day, the casual list up the other night, and they should be fun. Yeah, right. You should be able to sit down and play casual ashes and have. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, what kind of questions do you have for Nick? Like, what what are some things that you really want to talk about? I mean, I could talk to you about this for six hours or whatever, probably. <laughs> um he's not kidding just just yeah i'm here for it <laughs> so call for food right now the, yeah <laughs> the first thing that like i have noticed in four weeks of deck building and this is obviously 1.0 stuff i don't know what you're working on down the pipe but, i mean besides the spoils or whatever but we've been trying to play with the um the old rules and the old cards because that's what we mm -hmm. have um, for sure and obviously we just touched on a little bit the difference in at least to me the the seeming difference in power level of just the different dice in general 
But I also feel like there's just like a lot of redundancy in the card pool where like the card pool is already kind of small to start with by comparison to a lot of games that, you know, you're building competitively for. Mm -hmm. And there's just like, I don't know, like six different summons that are all functionally extremely similar. Sure. And there's just like a ton of overlap in that space. And And they're obviously not exactly the same, but like, you know, there's, there's just a million two threes, right? There's like, <laughs> like just, I don't know, like probably 15 X threes, you know, uh-huh. two, three or three, three or whatever for essentially three dice in whatever amount of, you know, whether it's through the combination of playing the ready spell and summoning it or just playing it from your hand as an ally, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I end up only playing like two of them or something because they seem better sure. than all the others. Like, I, I don't Probably know. Probably Frostback Bear is a good one you found, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> the bears are, the Frostback bears are the Bear, bears. obviously, very good. Like, I'm a big fan of uh, Battleseer. She seems yeah, solid. Sure. I, I don't know. I, but it just, it has seemed like when I've been building these decks, and I look at the pool that there's just all this overlap and I don't know, you know, like I look at the decks on the ashes deck builder and they kind of all have the same cards in them too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like what did like competitive lists look like at the end of when ashes was, you know, good. I, I don't know if that even extended to the end of the life of the game or if it had degenerated at that point. Cause I'm not exactly sure like what caused it to go away in the first place. Um, but like, yeah, like what, what did the actual like competitive list look like? So almost every competitive deck by the end of the life cycle of original ashes included illusion dice for the sake of hidden power and what, whether it's to take your opponent's dice or to come back from when your opponent's taking your dice, it was basically a mandatory inclusion to just not fall behind on dice economy, which is too essential of a mechanic for the game to throw away. So everybody was just kind of playing the dice race and a lot of um, kind of the swings between uh, players would be who drew more dice recursion in a given round. And then they really can kind of just push the advantage because of that. So it kind of broke card draw in the game too, where it's like, okay, if players can draw more cards and get more dice recursion in a round, you're getting like these differentials of like, I have 13 dice to your one, eight dice this round. One feeds into the other and... Yeah, yeah. Like, So Illusion was everywhere. Um, there were some Phoenix born that were clearly better than the rest. Um, Harold was probably the best Phoenix born at the end of... Uh, Ashes 1.0. He's the one uh, that has uh, like marked for death, or, he has or hunter's yeah, mark, hunter's mark yeah. Or he can put the is. hunter's mark on different uh, con- or on different units to deal double damage to them. And then his unique card was also dice recursion. It let you when you killed right. something. I think you can draw a card, gain a die, remove that unit from the game. So it was just like a little bit of everything on top of just like an absurd life stat. So he had ridiculous stats, dice recursion, card draw, a little bit of everything, and it was just 
Because each one of his alterations, right? Because he could stack his alterations, and each one would give him plus one, plus one, plus one, plus one battlefield, plus one life, plus one spellboard, right? Right. Okay. Right. Um, yep. I remember him. Uh, he he definitely got pretty brutal uh, in the times that I used him. Uh, so yeah. we, we're getting some questions in chat, and definitely chat if you want to ask Nick some questions, please. You know, do so. Just just we'll check them and then add okay. in as we go. So, uh, Pokemon Beer League is asking, how do I? How do you recommend building communities and organized play going forward? This is a good question. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, before you chime in, I just want to add some things because coming from what I would call niche card games that aren't Magic, Pokemon, or Yu Gi Oh, a lot of times building communities sort of has to start at the player level. It has to. Start with your commitment to showing up sometimes for weeks on end with nobody interested in playing, but eventually it it does click over. So I just encourage you to do that. Now I'll ask Plat Hat's official response on how they're sort of going to build community. But at the end of the day, I, I do think it also relies on players. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's how my community started in Original Ashes was just dedicating the time to demoing the game at my local game store and finding just a couple people that are interested in picking up the core set and meeting up once a week or whatever to just play the game and eventually it grows into into a group of maybe eight people and that's enough to have a small tournament at your store um i also but some of my fondest memories of ashes are traveling to other tournaments um either within state or within reason um and then of course like the big gen con tournaments uh you really just all of those small communities just collide at the big events and it's really fun and i think uh coordinating online is a great way to feel like you're a part of that bigger community um and there's people playing ashes online uh through tabletop simulator and just all, all sorts of ways to enjoy the game outside of playing the game physically that I think can uh, really enhance that experience. Do you see, is Plat Hat sort of taking with COVID and some of that stuff, do you see Tabletop Simulator as an outlet for that? Or is there discussions of something more official uh, than Tabletop Simulator? Because obviously Tabletop Simulator doesn't necessarily require somebody to buy the game. Yeah, Octagon (laughs) is a great great tool too. But I'm just, just curious if like there's a... Uh, a certain level of like officiality with COVID kind of changing the plans. Cause we don't really know mm-hmm. when we're going to get back to a Gen Con origins world. Right. We just don't know at this point. And right. Uh, I mean, obviously we all hope for origins of Gen Con to happen next year and for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, packs unplugged and all of those great cons that I think everybody should go to if you can have the means to do so. Cause they're just a ton of fun when you get together, like you said, with a group of the community. Um, yeah. So, but in the short term, what what is Plaid Hat sort of thinking about in a longer term? You know, I mean, from a from a, I guess I, my question is two parts. One is short short term. How are, are you kind of embracing Tabletop Simulator as a means means to an end for organized play for Reborn? Considering it's kind of probably come out here, and we don't have an official, but the projections mm-hmm. are November December timeframe is what we're sort of hearing the right. middle yep. saying. So, um, yep. you know, from that perspective. Um, obviously a pretty good chance we're not going to be able to go out and play in our local communities yet. So is mm-hmm. how are you working? Are you working with TTTS mod makers to get new cards in quickly? Or is that something you're going to still rely on the community to build under a normal timeline? Because there can be some lag in between the release to actually be. Yeah, yeah. That sort of so thing. So we have 
totally been using Tabletop Simulator for our playtesting okay. so far. So we have a functional mod of the Ashes Reborn upgrade kit on there for our playtesters right now. Um, it remains to be seen if that will expand uh, beyond internal playtesting, but I'm a big fan of Tabletop Simulator as just a resource for the board game community, especially in times like this where that is kind of one of the only feasible ways we can play games together. So um, I, I think it's a really good resource. My second and... question is related back towards the local organized play, and that that is... Um... Like if a retailer right now in the U.S., I know you're talking about global distribution, mm -hmm. probably gets outside of your realm of expertise a little bit, but just you might have some insight yeah. into it. Um, the my local retailer, if they wanted to get involved here in the U.S., I mean, right now that's sort of is that just all being directly controlled or co contacted through Team Covenant, or are they is Covenant acting like a distributor in the sense for a retailer that wants to become a store? Is that something they're gonna? go back into the regular three-tier system, which is what you're kind of trying to avoid with the PDP system in the first mm -hmm. place? Or are you going to end up working directly with retailers? What's kind of the, the local retailer plan for the in particular? I, kind of have a I don't know the specifics for how stores can connect through uh, Team Covenant or Plaid Hat through distribution, but I do know that they can contact one or the other to... Uh, get the details on that. So I don't know exactly the uh, agreements they've made on that, but I know that they can still reach out. And uh, that that will hopefully be the case for uh, tournament support as well. Um, I, I think it would be really great to strike a balance between um, providing large-scale tournaments hosted by Plaid Hat at the various conventions and whatnot throughout the year, but as well as having organized play kits accessible to just any consumers that would want to pick up one and host a tournament and they don't need to necessarily go through a local game store to order one and it, it, sometimes that can um just Absolutely. get a little messy so the, yeah. just the more accessible organized play materials are the better that's awesome so you kind of touched base on pokemon beer league got another questions regarding how to encourage organized play i think you answered that here but one of the other things is what sort of ideas do you have for ashes moving forward in terms of promos or prize support that sort of thing um Ooh. Can, you, can you talk um, any about that yet or is that still well, we haven't we haven't locked anything down for what we want in organized play, and that's actually one of my tasks for this work week right now. <laughs> so, is so we're a week early. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, some ideas that I've been tossing around, and obviously this is not confirming anything or not, but I think um, like flip open boxes to hold your dice that also function as like an active dice pool and an exhausted dice pool would be pretty cool. Uh, just have a kind of a physical space to do that and also cool ways to store your stuff. Yeah. Um, one that's really out there that I think is cool, and um, you'll see this when the rule book gets posted live, but there was a piece of art in the rule book that I had never seen and must have just been in the archives of Plaid Hat, but there's a picture of baby Aridel holding a Miss Spirit plushie, and I was like, I want that to be a prize. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. That'd be super cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm open to hearing from the community what kind of prizes that they're interested in because ultimately community is the one that benefits from organized play kids. So as long as it's 
feasible from a production side for us, then I'm I'm happy to happy to listen. So a couple other things that I kind of had questions on. So we know from the Covenant cast that like 30% of the card pool is being is 1.0 updated. And then mm-hmm. that leaves us with what roughly 70% of the card pool that's all new cards. Is that is that a fair statement when we talk about Ashes Reborn? Uh, if I'm um, understanding that, or how's that? How's that uh, a little bit flipped? So, okay. um, a majority of the cards are not changing. Okay. A smaller section are changing. Um, I, I don't remember the exact percentages. Okay. Um, but majority of the cards are staying the same. So does that mean the, that the... 1.0 cards that you mean the, like the old cards are staying the same, and then some of them are updated? That's does, right. Yep. Does that mean that the reborn kit will have brand new? some brand new cards that we haven't ever seen at this point, or is this? Um, solely... it, w- it won't be any brand new cards. Um, it, it will all be updated cards that you would replace yeah. from your 1.0 yeah. version. Just want um, to make the, that clear. Yeah. So no new art, no new, um, character designs necessarily. Um, some cards are getting a full rework because when we, but when I was looking at how much, um, we had to keep the same in the project. A lot of it boiled down to just like, well, the art can't change. We're not going to commission new art for this project. So sure. I could, so I, I've done some switching of like, oh, this old reaction spell is now a ready spell or something like that. So sure. there's a lot, there's a lot of big functional changes, but that card will still have the same art and it will be in the same base deck that it originally was packaged in. Awesome. But in terms of design, there's there's a bunch of just radically different cards now. Yeah. So it'll feel like you're playing with a lot of new cards. And so that leads to then the first real expansion, which is the new yes. Jericho time deck. So what kind of juicy nuggets can we get on the new time dice? And sure. Yeah. Like what it, what is sort of the general theme of time? How do you see it fitting into the other realms of magic in the Ashes world? And uh, is Jericho going to be another force to be reckoned with again, like she was last? Yeah, it uh, remains to be seen. So Jericho is in play testing right now. So a lot of this is still um, early in development. We started Jericho testing earlier this week, um, but I've been designing her time deck and a couple afterwards kind of in the background while we were testing the upgrade kit. So ideas for time magic have been floating around, uh, but Right now, the dice power we're testing is placing or removing a status token from any card. And obviously, a lot of the time magic cards will use status tokens for different effects. Um, uh, A main function of status tokens in Ashes right now is just like stat scaling on like your silver snakes or what have you, where X, their attack equals X and X is the number of status tokens on them. But in the previews, we've also seen ready spells that are using status tokens in different ways, like um, the new Chan of Revenge. It charges up with status tokens, and then you spend that token to deal damage on a subsequent turn. But I think that's really cool, because then Time Magic can kind of falsify triggering those ready spells. They're like, oh, well, I go into a different timeline, and in that timeline, one of your allies died, so I do get to charge up my thing, so... Um, that, that's been pretty neat to see just how, how we want these status tokens to function. Cool. Um, but that sounds fun to um, play, play around with for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
it'll be cool and um we'll, we'll see if the time dice power stays that way um there's a bunch of other directions it could go it could generate you more side actions it could stop a unit from being able to block for a turn like all, all sorts of things so uh right now we're just testing it just a flood of design ideas mm-hmm. and seeing just what what's fun about time magic because it, it can go a lot of directions and we, we just got to find which ones are fun first, and then the balancing will come later in the process. Sure. Uh, but for Jer- Jericho's section of time magic is kind of themed as just like tempo control. So a lot of like suddenly giving your units uh, like a quick strike attack where uh, they deal their damage before the opponent counterattacks or um, locking down a unit so it can't attack and you can attack past them. So a lot of just more like the freezing and fast attack kind of tempo moves of time magic whereas other phoenix born down the line will do all sorts of other elements of time magic whether it's like this massive buildup of one spell over time until it gives you like this game ending effect after like round four or something ridiculous um yeah that i hope that uh, every time phoenix born kind of gives us a different color of time magic because it will also be paired up with each of the other classes of magic. So Neil, what what do you think about uh, time? Have you had a chance to look well, at it? I'm in interested detail? in again. I'm going to go backwards instead of uh, forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of interested in like obviously we're getting Jericho in its current iteration retired mm-hmm. um, because it won the invitational thing. And yes. you know you're talking about Harold. Um, and like just from my current assessment of the game which i have you know no reason to believe is correct i uh (laughs) you know the ones that seem really unfair to me are like victoria and harold and um was the super expensive promo that like reworked them or yeah oric yeah Um, like by comparison jericho doesn't seem that good like she's she's fun, she's cool, right? Like, am I just missing something? Uh-huh. Um, so a couple things in there. Um Jericho wasn't actually the winning Phoenix born of the tournament. Okay. It was um the player who won that tournament got to decide which Phoenix born won the like lore War of Ashes. So um that was um one of our playtesters, Brian. I believe he won with a Herald deck but then chose Jericho to be kind of the hero of the story of Ashes, Um, which was pretty exciting. Um, I don't know if uh, people really wanted Harold to be the the champion of Ashes. So uh, Jericho is a fun one. And um, right. She seemed really cool. And specifically her loyalty card is very cool to me. Oh yeah. The double edge is really strong. And uh, (laughs) I hope players like the new one that we have cooking up for her too. It's a, it's a, a totally different card, but I think it's uh, proven to be really fun so far. And, uh, Jer- but Jericho did win a Gen Con tournament. I think it was Gen Con 2018. Uh, the the winning player did play Jericho. That was uh, Joey. So she's definitely got game. I mean, a free card that can put two damage wherever you want it uh, is very good. And her battlefield Side of nine action. at the time. Yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> so, so she's strong. From, so coming up from side actions, one of the things that you kind of mentioned with time dice a little bit, but obviously it's not being explored, it sounds like, right now, 
do you in matches 1.0 side actions were kind of limited right they were i mean a lot of times you would take a main not have a side to take so you pass at least that's been my experience here lately yeah i agree constructed decks do you see more cards coming in the future that have the side action how do you sort of balance side actions against main actions if they are playable on cards like i get why maybe they're not on cards but i mean do you see more gameplay happening in the side action as we go into reborn and yeah uh what's that look like this is one of my favorite parts about ashes reborn actually and it kind of came out as a byproduct of changing the triggered ability stuff so uh, in the past when you had like all of these ready spells and all of these units out in play, you could just have an explosion of like 10 triggered abilities happen at any instant. But by, by removing triggered abilities from cards in play and kind of keeping that more to like the reaction spells in hand, um, we actually turned a lot of those triggered abilities into side action abilities. So there's a tremendous more amount of pressure on you to manage your side actions, which I think is really fun gameplay. It's kind of this tension point that... Uh, helps helps the best players come out ahead because when you're suddenly trying to juggle like oh I have three different side actions I want to do but I maybe only have one main action left before I start passing because I'm I'm running out of units I'm running out of dice but I still have all these side actions I want to do you really got to decide which one is most important now right. um, so it, it's been so fun like that um, an example that was recently spoiled would be. Um, like living doll now it's a, a repeatable side action effect to sling a wound token over to your opponent's phoenix born so uh, the more main actions you can kind of balance with your units uh the more of those repeatable side actions you can take and i think those repeatable ones end up being really fun because uh there's no cap on the amount of value you can get from them if you can uh, create the right situations sure so one question that I have is really related to the, sort of the dauntiness of making the transition from pre-cons to constructed. Then mm-hmm. it, it feels, for whatever reason, it for me, it felt a far more uncomfortable to, to make that. And um, that's not normal for me. So traditionally, like, I, I just get a game and I look at the card pool and I go, fine, I'm going to build my own deck. I can see what's going on here. I'm going to build. Yeah. Like, I don't even play with the pre-cons. Maybe I'll play one game just to make sure I understand core mechanisms. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I just move forward and uh, charge forward and constructed. Ashes was really difficult for me because I, I kind of going back to what we said, I had a hard time evaluating the cards. But number two, is there things that are being done? Do you feel like things are being done to help make the game more new player um, accessible? I mean, how how are some of the things that... Obviously, the pre-cons make things really accessible, but I see, mm-hmm. it seems like what I see in the community is a group of people that either say all pre-con all the time or they may be dabble and constructed, but not not a lot of the both. Right. Like you don't. Yeah. See... Yeah. And so I'm just curious, do you do you do you kind of know how you're going to bridge that gap moving forward or how to sort of incentivize that? I mean, may, is it? Content? Yeah, totally. Is it through uh, different ideas, you know, articles on the Web, whatever it may be to sort of challenge people to explore the card pool a little bit more yeah so there's a few uh, i got a lot of different things to say on this um (laughs) and like i I felt that before too i remember um at the end of play testing the core set of ashes um i remember feeling like i don't know how much like there is to construct it in ashes i'm like maybe you borrow like a little bit from one deck or the other and like my 
my good deck at the end of playtesting was a Jessa deck with Living Doll, and I would put like spiked armor on it or something. I was like, I'm just going to make this giant Living Doll, and every time <laughs> you try to attack, I'll just sling a bunch of damage back at you. And yeah. I, it did not hold its ground by any means, but I think it is funny to look back at just like, what was it like to be a beginning Ashes player and remember those moments? Because and uh, a big part of like the pre-constructed feeling of ashes is like a lot of those art pieces reinforce that like oh yeah this is this phoenix born doing this thing um i think of like sympathy pain in saria's deck it's like oh this is clearly saria getting hurt so it's like i i had a hard time imagining using that card elsewhere just because the pre-constructed decks were so thematic so right. i i do think that um is a very correct assessment where there's either the pre-constructed players or just like the full-on competitive constructed players and bridging that gap is something we are looking at addressing uh number one by having more accessible cards where you can read them and understand what they do you can remember them out of context better where you're like oh yeah there's the card that uh mills cards for my opponent maybe i do want to put that in, in my control deck that i'm working on um but yeah just a, a general simplification of the language in the game i think will help players uh, blend those decks together and um, some of the play testers on the play test team right now have been working on this really awesome side project just like totally on their own they're doing like these reconstructed decks where they have certain limitations imposed where they're like okay take a pre-constructed deck use the same dice type pairing like plus or minus one so you could do like six natural four charm or whatever and then keep at least half of the cards in that pre-constructed deck the same and then rebuild the other half of the deck using other cards from those same colors so i think that's a really awesome way to just explore ideas a little bit more and for players of the game um, if you find a pre-constructed deck that you really connect with I'd recommend trying to play another deck that shares at least one of that same dice type just to see if there's any cards that you think might bleed over well. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. I I just was sitting here thinking about the like like drafting precons, like just slowing the Phoenix Borns out and drafting the precons mm -hmm. would be a fun way to just like challenge people to see more of the card pool uh in a reasonable yeah. way. And if definitely if you can close the gap on some of the pre the precon decks, you know, and the Phoenix Borns. That there's a really big opportunity there. Accessible. Yeah. And it also sort of incentivizes people to try new things. Time to now it's time to explore the deck builder's toolkit, if you will. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. I think we struck a really nice balance between the Phoenix Born 2 and Ashes Reborn. Uh, quite a few of them have gotten some tweaks to them, whether it's just stat points something? here or there. What's that? Does Simbali do something? Simbali does do something. She's pretty good now. <laughs> okay. I, I, I played her two weeks ago or whatever, and it became very apparent to me very quickly that she actually does nothing. And Yeah. She's probably the most uh, embarrassing pre-con deck that's out there. Um, it, it was just hard to kind of balance the polarizing mechanic of conjuration removal that her deck was kind of themed around. Um, either it did absolutely nothing because your opponent has five copies of whatever and Symbali's never going to afford removing all of them, so it doesn't matter. Or they remove your one Glowfinch that Leo has, and then he's like, I guess I don't get Glowfinches for the rest of the game. Um, right. So 
Um, it, it was an interesting mechanic that ended up kind of being a bust. So I'm happy to say in Ashes Reborn, Conjuration removal is completely gone. It's not a thing in the game. So, just but related inside the game pile, yeah, like I, from the Conjuration pile. Yeah, like re- removed from the game. Right. They, yeah. not, now they just go back to the Conjuration pile as normal. Yeah. And um. Oh, go ahead. If you have if you have more thoughts on this, please continue. Yeah, sure. One more thing on conjurations would be um, we also did a general reduction of the conjuration counts of conjurations. So instead of like five being the average that you get for a conjuration, that's trimmed down to like three. So like three is a big number. Some conjurations are limit one. Some are limit two. Miss spirits are still ten because they're miss spirits, but. Um, <laughs> As a general rule of thumb, the conjuration counts have been lowered to kind of encourage um, more diverse battlefields. Um, there's there's like that famous picture from Gen Con where it was like five owls against five owls and people are like, ah, the Ashes meta is solved. But that was just like a really unique scenario. But anyways, that was, that with lower conjuration counts. I laughed yeah. because I, I went back like when I started when Ashes Reborn was launched and re- announced. I went back and was like, okay, I'm gonna watch some videos because I gotta remember how this works. And that was like the first video that came up on Ashes gameplay. Yeah, so she too was like Gen Con 2016. It was a Leo like owl fight, <laughs> and I was uh-huh. like, like Team Kevin is like, I don't know what's going. On. <laughs> <I think so. laughs> and I'm I've like, never... I don't know what's going on either. I've yeah, it is the super rare player. control matchup. I've I've never played or seen that deck played, but that specific situation sounds absolutely miserable. Just from like <laughs> reading what those cards do, like it's just yeah. It it was it was it was interesting because it was like a whole like forty minutes of like no like people taking like one or two damage. You're like I don't. I mean the game looks close. You're right. Like from a life point to, but mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's like oh well everybody's just dying now <laughs> because there's yeah. no cards to draw. <laughs> so. Yeah, that that was a real grinder, and <laughs> it it was cool actually. The deck that one that was um matt's uh southern dandy deck it was it kind of brought owls into the uh into the light as a competitive game nobody had seen a control deck of that power at that time um the meta was very aggressive if i'm recalling correctly at the time it was basically like slam your hammer knights and frostback bears down and just duke it out on the battlefield but uh, that, that was kind of the first major successful control deck and it went on to win the tournament so um yeah that that game that was filmed just happened to be this leo matchup which was like unheard of at the time and it turned into just like okay we both have to be using three hide owls or else we're gonna fall behind as just this strange attrition game like let's let's both play one card in hand and like take 10 hours to win the game (laughs) (laughs) yeah very very technical (laughs) yeah it was it was a technical game and i mean obviously that was why it was past Mm -hmm. the like understanding of the commentators on it as well as probably a casual viewer uh for sure i don't know what's going on here either but nobody's doing anything because nobody can (laughs) you know um so kind of bringing back to the point uh, obviously the combat's being redesigned in ashes reborn uh to help Mm -hmm. try to prevent stalled states um that's something that uh has been kind of a common complaint and um i'm just curious are are you seeing that happen with when cuz i mean i haven't seen all of the 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 stuff yet right but i mean i've still seen a lot of the normal things so unit attacking unit countering and unit blocking and phoenix board guarding obviously the early game stuff was phoenix borns were just like 
taking a bunch of hits, right? So yeah, yeah, just use your life as a resource, you right, know. Right, which is which is what you do in every trading card game. Just so you're yeah, I mean, like if you're not using classic. your life as a resource, then you're not really probably playing the game to its fullest potential. But mm-hmm. the the question I really have is now with just the single guard, are you seeing stalled states less? I mean, I'm hoping less, obviously, but like. Uh, is stalled states still occurring in some matchups? I mean, are you kind of from an in, like I'm asking, I guess, a deep development question here. But at the yeah. end of the day, like, are 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 we actually seeing real improvements? I mean, significant improvements in that, or are we still getting to like, well, I still played three bears, you played three bears, and nobody wants to attack. You know, it's absolutely being alleviated so much more. Where, um, because with the old combat rules, it was a very like defender favored mm-hmm. rule set. I was like. Okay, yeah, because the defender gets full autonomy in how they block when they can use their Phoenix Born Unlimited times, or um, the unit guard units in the past were also very, very strong. Like the mm-hmm. old Gilder was just like tremendous value for one die. Um, so, yeah, you, you were put in this position where um, attacking was a really disadvan- disadvantageous thing to do. Um, another element to that was uh, you could block and no counter which let your opponent set up every favorable trade they could on defense, decide if they wanted to exhaust their unit or not, and then after your big attack, your battlefield's empty, and then they can uh, retaliate even better. So yeah, I I think the battlefield clogging came mostly because of like the block no counter rule, Mm -hmm. as well as the unlimited Phoenix Born Guarding. In a world of like 82 threes, Mm -hmm. they just block each other, take two damage and attack back. Yeah. They're not even trading. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So no, I think this is awesome. I, I, I mean, we're very excited. I mean, we've been playing on stream a little bit lately with, Mm -hmm. um, with those combat rules. Uh, we haven't really experienced stalled States. We've, we've had a few times where the board just wasn't advantageous to maybe make a main, but, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that, some of the things that break that, in my opinion, are the the action spells that deal damage to things, that exhaust things. Yeah, you know, th- those things are very proactive plans. Combine that with the combat rules, and it seems like that's going to be the case. Obviously, we're playing with the old cards, so there is some potential disconnect that could still happen. Yeah, there, but... probably some weird things. Yeah, that but... are going on, but for the but... most part, that it should work. Sure, absolutely. So, um, I guess one other question I have is. Um, you know, when we were when we developed a game, one of the things that I always found really kind of entertaining is watching the community develop decks, and then like realizing they hadn't. Sorry, I, you cut oh. out for like the first lost your audio sentence there. <laughs> okay, uh, one of the interesting things that I have found in uh, when we developed a game was that when we developed a card game specifically internally in testing, we found decks that the community hadn't really discovered yet. And mm-hmm. ha- have you seen that? Is there any? Is there anything that you've seen? Like in your development or testing where the community hasn't sort of solved, quote unquote, solved the the puzzle with a particular Phoenix born and there's a deck line in the wait out there somewhere that uh, just is waiting to be discovered. And can you put anybody on some hints for that if there is? For 1.0 cards or sure. Reborn? Um, one. I mean, yeah, Ashes Reborn is like such a new meta already that, I mean, we're seeing new decks come in every playtest and especially as we just keep adding more and more cards it's like i i don't we haven't really seen playtesters kind of settle into their one archetype or one phoenix born it's just there's so much more to try out now and 
Uh, a cool thing that we're seeing is with the illusion dice power gone, we can see a lot greedier dice spreads. Yeah. So people are running four different colors. People are running five different colors. And it's still really cool. And it's not like... I think there was an old fear that um, those greedy dice spreads would be oppressive for one reason or another. It's like, oh, you just have access to too many things, too many different uh, pieces of the color pie, as they say. Um but it's it's turning out to just be fun, and it's cool to be able to bring one charm die for whatever unit that you want, and right. you, you get you get to try a lot more interactions, and it's not enforcing players to be like, oh, you have to play, uh, kind of respecting the just existence of dice exhaustion. So we're getting just so many more diverse decks, and I think a big part of that too is um, a rebalancing of the Phoenixborn, kind of the top five contenders aren't the only viable phoenix born anymore i think there's maybe like two or three phoenix born that are in a lower tier and will probably struggle a little bit but uh, we could only change so much in the project and they're still not bad i would say um fiona ramia and koji are probably the three lowest tier phoenix born but totally all still viable sure um I think that's anytime you have an asymmetrical start, Neil and I can talk at nauseum about this, but anytime you have asymmetrical starting positions like this, there's always mm-hmm. going to be a tier list of those. And there's just no way around. There's going to be yeah. bottom performers. You can't have all of them. be right. equal. There's, there's going to be two or three of them that are like top of the meta proactive. And then mm-hmm. two or three more that are good because of what's in the current meta. Yep. And you know, if, if you've got it down to where, how, how many are there now? Uh, there's like t- 21 phoenix oh, born i think I so if you've got it to where like 18 of 21 is viable that's really good like that's yeah extremely yeah good. It, it's cool one thing that that i told jesse early on in this was that like i went into it with a you know like a destiny or transformers tcg mindset where the phoenix born is like the build around me like i'm gonna play this phoenix born and mm-hmm. so and to a certain extent, there are cards that are better with one or the other, but really, like, it has become more apparent to me that you can kind of just, like, build a deck and, like, then slap a Phoenixborn on it, and sure, it still yeah. runs. Like, um, yeah, obviously, that, the, that's I, one of the, the benefits situation the... somewhere between, but... Yeah, that, that's kind of the benefit of the first five system, is where it's like, okay, I can always pick how I want my games to start, so... Uh, you can maybe like try your deck in Brennan and you're like, oh, that's not working. Maybe I try it in whoever. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like Phoenix Born do only have limited impact on your deck. That you, that you get their three cards and then whatever their stats are and their ability is kind of your jumping off point. But for the most part, I think uh, what you want to do with your spell board and just your general right. unit and composition. Just, it's just kind of like contrary to how i anticipate it to be and sure. how uh um how i mean i i like it this way better i'm i'm more a fan of symmetrical starts than asymmetrical starts so mm-hmm. in in general i like this this is closer to the symmetrical start than the other way yeah. for me yeah yeah the, um, the more asymmetrical it gets the more like matchup dependent i think right the outcomes of the game become Absolutely. so it's like you you want to go into a match feeling like you have a fighting chance and not just be like oh shoot this phoenix born is a hard counter yeah um to my phoenix born um re- really what 
one of the coolest parts about ashes is having like strategy pivots built into your deck where it's like i can bring um x y and z for my spell board in my first five but against so-and-so opponent i'm going to drop two of those and replace them with this and now my deck has an entirely different function to it um it really really rewards an understanding of the card pool and predicting what your opponent's uh game plan options are based on their phoenix point and their dice that was something that we discussed last week in the stream and like that definitely not the level that i'm at yet (laughs) just like ready to like you know play play two or three more ready spells than i have spellboard just because i know that this matchup needs it kind of situation yeah we're just, um, we're just not there. I mean, we we definitely have been there in other games. And I know we'll get there in Ashes. I'll, I have yeah. I have two additional like kind of general gameplay type questions. Um, mm-hmm. One is very specific, and this is something that Jesse and I have talked about. I don't know if we talked about it live or just offline, but um, this happens frequently. <laughs> remember whether we were on stream or not when we had these? Yeah, I, I talked to him way too much. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, the specific question is the starting five situation. This is a thing that Mm -hmm. I like a lot. Um, It's really interesting to just like, like have your single frost bears or whatever. Like you get to have this opening hand where, you know, I don't want to necessarily draw three copies of this throughout the course of the game, but I want one to start Mm -hmm. like, like it's a very cool feeling Mm -hmm. to always have that sculpted. Now, the downside to this that I see um, is something that uh, I've talked about in other games, and specific to this one, um, the comparison being the magic card. I don't, I don't know if you know anything about magic, but there's a magic card Roughly. called Once Upon a Time that recently got banned in Standard. It's, it's, that was like about the a year free draw card, right? It, If it's the first card you play in the game, it's free. Yeah. And you look at the top five and get a creature on land. And so, um, one of my favorite follows on Twitch for the Magic community is Luis Scott Vargas. He's a pro that plays Magic. Um, mm-hmm. He's a very charismatic guy, but he broke it down in a way. This was at a time when Magic Standard was really screwed up, and it needed a bunch of bands. It, it eventually got a bunch of bands and became. Better. Oka was around right. at the same Oka time was as the this one, right? Set. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I remember That's the elf memes. Everybody knows. Um, but he was talking specific to Once Upon a Time because it reduced the variance of the game down to a point where like almost every game was the same. Sure. Because you always had like the perfect start off the once upon a time and Mm -hmm. the five card starting hand is essentially like super once upon a time, right? Like we're just like, you literally have the best options. So from your point of view, obviously playing thousands of games, Ash or whatever, and playing it competitively, Mm -hmm. like, how many games do you see that just essentially start the exact same way every time like that? And is that a, is that a downside? Um, I think the first round of ashes does have kind of this, um, establishment feeling to it where you're developing your ready, ready spells, uh, for the first time. So, uh, the first round tends to be slower in that sense as I play down a book, you play down a book, I maybe summon, and then you decide, oh, do I want to block it or do I want to summon? So, But e- even from like that decision point on, things start to change, where it's like the order in which our units come out is going to dictate who has advantage on the battlefield. So um, even though you have your same five cards that you might bring every single game, um, 
the battlefield texture, I think, really starts to spread that apart right from the get go, which is pretty interesting. And um, there's one big uh, difference between magic and ashes that I think this uh, choose your starting hand thing is related to is magic is a game with a ramping resource system. And your curve is very important. So, like, if you're playing an aggro or a mid-range deck and you can pick your starting hand that lets you go one, two, three, four, it's like you're in pretty good shape. Um, right. But with Ashes, uh, with the 10 dice always being consistent, uh, we don't have to worry about people, like, hitting the perfect curve or whatever. Um, it the, the gameplay of Ashes doesn't, ramp up in that same way um it's really about just like the turn by turn can i get these incremental advantages over you based on the state of the game right now uh because missing one opportune attack or not meditating enough a few turns back like will drastically impact your ability to play the right card at the right time so i think that's kind of the uh the main uh, draw of Ashes at a high competitive level is just trying to be the master in every single uh, every single turn of the game rather than um, the long-term uh, growth of your curve that will let you play your big drop. Because you can play your most expensive card on turn one in Ashes, which is right. a totally different thing than ramping up to your seven-mana dragon or whatever. And, right. um, and and I yeah, mean, go ahead. You, you put that very succinctly. Like I, I have been in agreement so far that the starting five is good, and the way that the beginning of Ashes plays out is good and enjoyable, mm -hmm. even if it is very similar every game. Because, like you said, you know, you take your turns, and immediately after, like, you know, like I go, you go. My second turn of actions, you know, could be totally different every game, mm -hmm. and. It plays much more, like I've said this a couple times, it plays much more like a board game than it does like a card game. Like, card games yeah. have a lot of variance, um, and this game tends not to. Like, obviously you have some random draw, and you're mm -hmm. even rolling dice, but it still doesn't feel like it has that much crazy variance. Um, yeah, you kind of have this incremental Euro game kind of feel to right. like managing your exactly. dice and your ready spells and the attacks. And so I really enjoy that, and, and I think cool. that that's a um like the way that you put it was very <laughs> express a lot of the things that like i wouldn't have been able to say but i think is right like i don't know <laughs> nick was uh, very eloquent in I just his response yeah i just haven't played it enough and i i think that i don't know how many people even you know considered it on this level but i i find it very rewarding to make those early decisions and have them pay off like mm, much mm -hmm. later in the game uh which lots of games don't have that kind of you know payoff endorphin response i guess like sure yeah and like even you know six turns later or even like two rounds later or whatever you're benefiting from these early decisions the same thing happens in in magic and other games but you just don't unless you're playing at extreme high level you have no you know, recall of that, like, yeah, yeah. Um, the second more wider ranging thing that I have been questioning, and I know you've, you've used these terms like 
like aggro deck or mid-range deck or control deck uh, to describe, you know, some some things out there in the ether. And mm-hmm. for me, I've been having a hard time like categorizing any Ashes deck as anything other than like a grindy mid-range deck. Like, the yeah, game feels it's like all one for ones. For sure. And like, since you refill, you just can't, you can't like one for one them to death. Like, you know, again, I'll use mm-hmm. magic because that's what I'm most comfortable with. Like, you know, the, the magic control decks play some one for ones and then they like play some draw twos to get ahead. Yeah, they start and card then, advantaging on top right. of you. And, and Ashes doesn't feel that way. It feels like, like a mid range magic type deck where like a Jund or something where I'm just, you know, yeah, playing like yeah. discard one, you know, like playing like, like a dude that trades profitably, which is something mm-hmm. that like a control deck would never do. So what, what would you describe like, like a control deck as, or like a very aggressive deck as in Ashes? Because they all kind of feel the same to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree that those archetypes don't carry over into Ashes um, in like a one for one way. Uh, because it goes back to the ramping resource thing too, right. where sure. your aggro and mid range is trying to curve out to uh, win on tempo, while your control deck is trying to win on value by surviving long enough to where you're out of resources. And while while there are comparisons in ashes, because like you can run out of your deck and you can start taking fatigue damage, that's yeah, not the same thing the as an aggro deck being <laughs> out of gas on turn five. Right. Um, Neil's really good at killing himself. <laughs> I, I love value, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it, in Ashes, like, you do always have to be playing for value. Uh, you do always have to be playing for tempo, too. So, like, it it's kind of deciding between one or the other every turn, I feel like, where it's like, okay, I need to, if I have an opportunity to attack with my three attack unit, I better get it in right now. And I hope that whatever their response is, I have an answer for next turn. Because if I don't, they just aggro me back and then we're at square one again. But um, that that that's where that kind of Euro game feel of Ashes, I think, really shines, where it's like, okay, I have a backup plan for the next three turns, and I'm, I'm trying to um, pose questions that my opponent can't answer effectively or ever, like, kind of swing the initiative back to me so yeah like i say aggro decks but like that it doesn't quite translate well well like we have um some decks that maybe their first five is like five allies and they just say forget spellboard development i'm just gonna put down all my units because i have a huge battlefield and i'll just try and do as much damage there and uh hope you don't get a board wipe on round two and uh, just kind of like continuing that advantage one of the one of like the more aggressive strategies in Ashes relies on um, deciding if you're going to be the aggressor based on who's the first player of Ashes. So um, a critical turning point in every game of Ashes is the top of the round because everything's refreshed, all your dice are right. back, and you're like, okay, if I controlled the board in the first round and now I have three units to your one and I'm first round two, I get an awesome attack against you. Right. So you can yeah. That's what we have definitely seen in our yeah. in our small number of games is like we get this board state and there's a lot of like unit attacking and like you know at the end there's just like okay I take an attack on your phoenix born because I have nothing better to do and then the game ends immediately like the turn that some do, somebody that has a large 
Florida State gets the first action. Yeah, just, it, like, it can be hard to come so back from. You go like, you know, they have like 19 health or whatever, and, and you've done three to them up to this point, and then all of a sudden they're dead. Like, yep. that's... Right. Like, <laughs> so, Maniacal Raven has asked a question. I, I get to ask this question. Oh, you get to ask it? Well, yeah, because yeah. because we are yeah. we kind of have a little joke here at the Shuffle Bus. That says, I, early on in the pod, I made the statement that you have to play limited or we can't be friends. Yep. Um, <laughs> and that is so, definitely our slogan <laughs> through and through. <laughs> I love... I love drafting. Um, yeah. So, yeah. uh, Maniacal Raven asks, is drafting kept in mind with 1.5 cards and development? Uh, and he says, you guys know drafting is the most fun, right? And that's correct, Maniacal <laughs> yeah. Raven. You're you, absolutely right. We that, can be friends. There cannot be any larger <laughs> answer than yes, that is 100% correct. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, uh, drafting in Ashes or just like a limited format in general is interesting because um, unlike Magic, it's not constrained to uh, rarity of cards in your randomized packs because like that that really determines kind of how your draft goes in kind of a sealed event where um, you open your cards and you're like, oh, I got this really good rare bomb and no one else is going to open this. I can kind of take that as my win condition or whatever. And the common cards kind of set the tone of just like what, what the games look like in this limited environment. But Ash is like every card is on the uh, on like the same rarity scale. So um, I've always liked the Ashes dra- draft rules. Um, I think they're pretty simple and you can get into weird situations where... Um, your decks become kind of this hodgepodge of different dice colors, but you can still afford to spend those because you get to make your your uh, dice pool however you want with those draft rules. Um, so w- another thing with drafting is um, the card counts also reflect uh, pre-constructed decks where when you draft a card, you add three copies of that into your deck. Um, I think players can totally open up the draft rules to kind of different variants there. But in the in the master set rule books, we went with the simplest draft rules, which is like pick your Phoenix born and you get their exclusive card and then draft nine cards. And then that's your deck. Um, I think there's a lot more um, exploratory things you could do with just mixing up your cards and drafting literally one card at a time until you build your 30 card deck. You could get much more interesting cards with uh, those crazy first five pivots where if you have one of this ready spell, one of that ready spell, you can kind of mix and match how you want to start your games a lot. Um, but well, one of my favorite uh, limited formats in Ashes is called the Koloff. I don't, have you guys ever no. heard of Koloff? No. <laughs> so everybody plays Cole as their Phoenix born. Oh, okay. Okay. And, and his ability, of course, is Slash, which you can just discard a card to deal one damage. Right, I played and him then... early on because I thought he looked like Geralt of Rivia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cole's he'll, sick. He'll so... the Witcher. <laughs> <laughs> what you do is shuffle up your entire collection, deal out 30 random cards, and then everybody plays Cole. <laughs> so it's super fun. And it's best in multiplayer too. Like uh, some of my favorite games of Ashes are just like a four-player free-for-all Koloff. And you just see what happens. It's so fun. <laughs> Koloff is that awesome according awful. to Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> I well, really wanted to put it in the rule book, but it'll maybe be a PDF you, online you, you or something. Should, you should definitely make sure Colby lets you do that. Just say this is this was my whole fee for doing this. Is it's the I know best. you're paying me to be on salary, but uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Exodus seventy-four seventy-seven is asking if there's going to be any changes to the multiplayer rules do you see that 
coming in Reborn right away, or is that something that's going to be looked at later? Uh, multiplayer rules are the same right now. Um, the rule book is written kind of referencing just the two-player games, but then it has a section that says like multiplayer or like three to four player or whatever, um, and it kind of elaborates the differences there. Um, but multiplayer is a little difficult in uh, these traditionally head-to-head games because you get into um, the issues of like who attacks who and kind of attacking first leaves you vulnerable to multiple people to dogpile. Yeah, talk about installed board states, man. Right, yeah. It's like, card games, like multiplayer like, card games. As if attacking that. wasn't bad enough already. <laughs> right, yeah. No, I, so I agree. I agree. It, it turns into just like these grind fests. So yeah. while uh, while I don't think um, we have any mechanical changes to the multiplayer rules to like facilitate that i am really interested in post um the time magic decks that are coming out i've been toying around with some cooperative multiplayer um experiences that you can play with ashes versus a like automated enemy deck um, so that may or may not be the types of products that come out after we do the seven time magic decks but uh it's awesome. just an early idea right now, and I think when you change the attitude from competitive multiplayer to cooperative multiplayer, you can just get like way more interesting and fun, yeah. just social right. yeah. experiences. It, because the problem with multiplayer in general is that there's like you don't share the same victory condition. Like, mm-hmm. essentially, if everybody's playing to win, your assuming that everybody's playing exactly to win and not just to not lose, which is a thing that happens all the time. Is right. You play really defensively and you would like do what you can to stop the person that's winning. And then it goes on forever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so cooperative fixes that because you move to this situation where everybody does have the same victory condition. And it's just, you know, it's like two player where you and I both have the same win condition is defeat you. Like, yeah, if we team up where it's like our win condition is defeat this. So we don't, we we don't we aren't rewarded for taking a long time we aren't rewarded for like griefing the leader like and yep. and obviously it's it tends to be more casual it's just like a lot of fun we've we've been playing marvel champions on our weekend streams yeah so is, cool you know, yeah it's awesome it's so it, it's so much fun because we're just we like to take a break from the competitive nature we do so much like competitive dueling i mean we're still actively involved in the transformers community even though we're not doing them for it anymore and mm-hmm. i mean when you start doing all that sort of like back and forth dueling all the time and then you you add in ashes weekly and all the games we're playing there you start going okay well it's nice to be able to just play like well i'm not getting beat by neil and that's that's what yeah. <laughs> he gets real sick of it i do what uh, can i tell you what can i tell you but um uh, I don't want to take up too much of uh, Nick's time. We we I was hoping to have you for an hour. We have gone over, which we are notoriously great at. Nick, so. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> um, I do have one final question because I tweeted out uh, that we were doing this, and the Plat uh-huh. Hat t- Twitter person, whoever's in charge of Twitter over at Plat Hat, said we knew all along Nick was the Phoenix. So is that true? Were you all along <laughs> the Phoenix? Because I put all your head along. on top of the Phoenix on our. <laughs> But yeah, um, I, I have some uh, card spoilers if you guys. Uh, yeah, let's do that. That sounds. Amazing. Want a couple cards? Let's do it. I, I 
thoughts um since uh i'd be on the shuffle bus it'd be appropriate to spoil any of the new cards that deal with shuffling your draw pile perfect that's awesome so um let's see i think i got three of them here so okay. uh one changed card comes from odette's deck the divine magic that's a uh, emperor lion so this is a conjuration unit it's uh summoned for two divine class really and one basic one too isn't it like at least it was on the decks that i've seen yeah it's just like a big beater unit yeah. it, was, it was just strong and did damage um so now the emperor lion is a three three zero for stats and it has this new ability to synergize with the laws that are in divine magic so it says when this unit comes into play search your draw pile you may reveal a ready spell with law in its title and place it into your hand and then you can immediately play a law from your hand without paying any main or side action costs. And then you shuffle your draw pile. That's sweet. That's awesome. What is, did you say the summon cost? Is it's that... uh, th it's three dice, two divine and one oh, basic. It's, it's the same as it was? Yeah, so the book is the yeah. same. The unit's okay. changing, Okay. Uh, which, which is a trend you'll see in Reborn a lot. Um, the books weren't necessarily the cards that needed any changes because it just says, right. pay this, summon a unit. But... Uh, a lot of the units themselves have changed when they oh, had that's, those. That's super issues. cool. Like, yep. You just get to like off the top of my head, uh, you get to like search up the law of I your lion fights their guy. I don't remember what it's called. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Law of do domination. Domination. Yep, yep. The one. The yeah, that, one, that's super cool. The other one was yeah. law of no reaction spells, right? There's a law that's you can play no reaction spells. Yes, like that's law of sight. Law of sight. Yep. Thanks. Uh, so I remember law of sight because I played it in an early. I, we had net decked early constructed just to kind of bridge the gap, and mm -hmm. uh, I law of sight was in my deck, and I was like, oh, this seems really cool. In fact, we made a mistake on stream that night because somebody got to play ice trap while I had law of sight. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was me. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> Neil, Neil beats me, but he's really good at cheating and me not catching it. <laughs> the first day we played Ashes, <laughs> and you yeah, played a whatever. card that has like a book's worth of text <laughs> I know, on it. I know, I know. Well, that that I, that lion sounds awesome, man. I can't wait to, that's to play a that. lot cooler than he was before. I mean, he was yeah, a I, guy before, but that's much more interesting. Yeah, I, th I think it's cool. And like laws have always kind of been bordering on the territory of like, are they playable? Are they unplayable? Because they like fit into yeah, that. Like, Tech like card roll cards, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, just... but, but we don't have sideboards. So yeah, you got to decide if you're yeah. going to put them in a deck or not. So yeah, I, th I thought the line would be like a cool way to lean into the theme of the laws and divine magic and um, what with an ability to search your deck for the one you want that certainly becomes a lot more playable and it comes into play with the lion too. You still have to pay for the law, but you don't sure. have to pay any of the yeah. extra costs. Yep. That's awesome. But yeah, I'm super excited it, about that. It's a pretty neat card. Yeah. Um, I got another one for you if oh, you want. Yeah, well, if you I keep, keep it coming, yeah, whatever. We're not going to yeah. stop you, man. <laughs> we could be here <laughs> all night. excited about it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So um, Augury is a card from Ramia's deck. This is a sympathy-ready spell. And this one hasn't changed a whole lot on the surface, but there's some cool things uh, we can get into. So Augury costs uh, one sympathy class and one basic to put down now. So it costs one more die to put down but activating it is free. So it says when this spell comes into play, you put three status tokens on it, and then side action and exhaust, no dice. You search your draw pile. You can reveal one card with a magic play cost equal to the number of status tokens on Augury. 
So first you search for a three cost card and then you remove a token. The next round you search for a two cost card. Mm -hmm. Yep, one cost card. Uh, what's different now is Augury doesn't discard itself when it runs out of tokens. So once it's down to zero tokens, you can start searching for cards that are free. Oh, that's sweet. That is cool. Yeah, so it, awesome. it's a nice little edge case bonus and to it. I can't. It's way better to have the extra cost up front and no cost on the activation. Yeah, right. It, it's getting yeah. a buff of effectively uh, two dice cheaper because the right, former yeah. augury costs four dice to get the full value out of it. But now you, you pay two up front and then you get three plus tutors uh, for the, for right, the rest of the game. Potentially more than that even. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. You can you can keep going as long as uh, you got a bunch you of zeros. Yeah. Exodus, yeah, sure it was so funny. Mean. Sorry, Exodus says four costs will time dice. I don't know what that's saying, Exodus. Maybe clear that up so we can add any clarity. Oh, this, the, I, I think they're saying if you put a uh, status token with the time dice power oh, yeah, on yeah, Augury, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can bump it up to four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. if, or, yeah. If you put I, are there, are there even any four costs in the game? I, this is going to show uh, how, how unfamiliar I, I am with it. I think there's one. one? I think there's one okay. four cost card left. Um, well, you can just keep stacking them and then grab Iron yeah. Rhinos. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, do I, yeah. no, rhinos are conjuration, so you can't search your deck for it. So no. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Augury wouldn't find that. Just charge it yeah. up to seven. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, Augury can... only gets uh, spells, though, huh? Uh, Augury is searching for the play cost on a card. So summon Iron Rhino has a one Maybe. die play cost. Right. You just charge it up to seven and get a elephant rider. An elephant. For the elephant. Yeah. Those are retired now. They don't count. Okay. Yeah. You can't get elephant riders anymore. <laughs> Neil's already the wheels are turning in Neil's brain. How do I break this I would, as fast I would as not possible? Play I was trying to play an elephant rider. Yeah. <laughs> so right, here, here's another one that uh might get your combos. Uh, ticking. It's in James's deck, so this is uh, the Divine Ceremonial deck. Um, this card had a complete overhaul. It was formerly Law of Repentance, which was like very specifically teched against, I think, uh, Dice Exhaustion or Dice Recursion. I think it was a Dice Recursion Punish card. Whatever it was. It's a totally new card now. It's an action spell called Revival Pact, and it's a side action and one Divine Die. And it says, search your discard pile for up to three allies and shuffle them into your draw pile. Cool. That's awesome. That's kind of neat. Yeah, I like that. That's yeah, it. so we, we haven't had many he's cards the guy that... that searches for them, right? Yes, exactly right. Yeah. So James can immediately search for it, too. So you get this cool <laughs> combo of yeah. um, getting access to those allies again without paying the ceremonial right. cost to like manually recur them with the dice power. With the dice power, But yeah. it, it also... Um, inflates your deck size too, which can be like a cool tech against the mill control decks where it's right, like, okay, right. now I got it, three more cards in my deck. Right. So it, yeah, it's anti mill and it like gives more reason. Cause there's, there's some card that Jesse played last week that like removes three things from the discard. Uh, like, yeah, that was where I think action spell. I don't remember the, the card now. And there's just not very many, at mm. least that I could see reasons that you would want to do that. Uh, besides like ceremonial power, I guess there's like, right. like hand tricks comes back, I guess that yeah. have uh, whatever that ability is. Um, yeah. There, there's not a whole lot of recursion from the discard pile outside of allies. Right. Uh, right. But, but there is some, there is some. Yep. Right. And so just having a card like that makes other cards more meaningful. Yeah. Uh, 
to remove them. But oh, that's, that's cool. sweet. That's yeah, I'm like, excited to play that card now too. Dang it. Yeah, it, it's a fun <laughs> little card. Though you, by changing its name, you made the lion worse. That's <laughs> true. One less card for the lion to play with. <laughs> well, well, okay, we'll, well, well, we'll, we'll be all maybe, right. <laughs> yeah. One more law might come out in the uh, in Demona's deck. She's going to okay. be time divine. Awesome. I, I I have the Demona promo, so I'm excited to see what you do with her and. I'm dice. I'm excited too. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And um, okay. Let's see. I got one more. Okay. One more oh, change more? card that shuffles. Woo! This is the last right. one. I promise. All right. <laughs> uh, so this is also in James's deck. It's the Reaping Angel, which is an ally. Uh, I can't really remember sweet. what he. Can't remember what it used to do, but I think it does something close enough now. So it costs. <laughs> Must have been really irrelevant at that point. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, these cards have all gone through so many changes mm -hmm. that I'm like, if I don't have my spreadsheet next to me, I don't know what the cards do. Um, yeah. I so the Reaping you. Angel costs a, a dagger and an angel. It's a two-two-two for its stats, so a pretty good ally. And then its ability is called Offer. It says when this unit comes into play, search your draw pile. You may reveal an ally and place it into your discard pile. Shuffle your draw pile. Then you may search your discard pile for an ally and remove it from the game to heal one from your Phoenix Born. Okay. Interesting. So you get this com you get this combination of like filling up your discard pile with allies for reasons mm -hmm. and um but then you can also remove the allies you don't need to heal up your Phoenix Born a little bit. So right. it's a pretty cool Pretty cool combo it, card. I'm trying to remember, are there allies that... Uh, oh, yeah, the Immortal Commander. When it leaves play, it does two damage, right? So, like, you actually have the opportunity to be proactive with the Immortal Commander to push out some damage with them. There's probably others that I'm not thinking If Immortal about. Commander stays the same, well, it's that's, another that's, changed that's, card. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, never mind then. I'm just... I'm just... But you, you get the idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I like those kinds of things where you're getting incremental value from... Something like that. So uh, maniacal raven says fire archers as well. So um, mm -hmm. I think that's cool. I'm 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 in. I I think that's the kind of thing that is tricky and fun to deal with because it's it's a plane on an axis that your opponent has a hard time doing anything about. Right where we can sure. play units and we're all playing on a unit battlefield, so we're playing on this axis where we're all working together. But when um, you know when things get removed from the the from play you know, and they have effects, that's something that plays on an axis that other people can't deal with. So if there's enough of that, sure. it can be very powerful. Uh, so I'm pretty, pretty excited to see where that all goes. I, I'm liking the changes yeah. to James. I, I, James is a really cool Phoenix born that I haven't explored yet that I've kind of been wanting to explore because just tutoring up an ally seems mm -hmm. like a very powerful ability. Um, that he's a very strong Phoenix born and ashes reborn. Watch out for James. Cool. Cool. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> he, he, he hasn't changed. Uh, the Phoenix born himself hasn't changed, but his unique card had to be changed, but he's still very, very strong. Good. Good. Well, you know, Nick, I just want to thank you so much for spending an hour and a half of your time with us. I'm sorry that we, I, I of course it's supposed to be an hour, but you've been a trooper through all of this and helping us uh, as relative noobs to this game, learn more <laughs> about it and how to move forward with, you know, our experiences. Neil and I love to draft, so maybe we'll explore some drafting ideas as well. Yeah. This game. Um, and then we'll go from there. But we're going to continue to stream Ashes Live on Thursday nights. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're hoping to, uh, um, you know, continue to support the community in any way that we can. So 
Uh, yeah. If we get closer to Reborn, maybe we'll have you back on to talk about all of the spoiled cards and what we're seeing come out of it. And by then, maybe Neil yeah. and I will actually be like, halfway good at the game. If you have a Thursday <laughs> off, just like watch us and tell me how bad I am. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Just be like, you guys suck. You can't even, you don't even know what you're doing. <laughs> you're supposed to meditate there. What are you doing? <laughs> so, yeah, for real. So, well, Nick, thank yeah. you so much. It, it's been an honor. Thank, thank yeah. you so much for well, having me, think, and it's it's great to just talk with Ash's players, and thank you guys for putting out content for the game. Sure. Uh, every little bit of com- community involvement goes a long way, we and uh, Ash's kind of has always been this small but dedicated community, and kind of the, the PDP model that uh, we settled on also supports these small communities that want to keep the games they enjoy around, so it's super exciting to see that happening. Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, there's a lot of energy in the community right now. I think you guys are doing a great job. Keep up the good work. I feel like Ashes is in really good hands with you at the helm, and uh, we will (laughs) be in touch with you again in the future, man. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thanks. Have a good one. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks for the chat. Appreciate it. Uh, Anybody that was in chat, uh, if you missed this, we'll have it on uh, YouTube and also on uh, our SoundCloud podcast. Uh, So we will see you all next week. Or Thursday, uh, Thirsty Thursday with Ashes. We should really make and, this a thing, Neil. But and Sunday, Sunday Fun uh, Day with Champions. Marvel Champions. Yep, we're on to <laughs> scenario two for Champions. So, all right, thanks everybody. Right.